Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The Minister of Broadcasting, Willie Jackson, has been or is meeting with media with the purpose of agreeing to a set of guidelines for how Māori and treaty matters should be reported on by those in the mainstream media industry. Apparently staff are hosting the meeting and have invited other media along. Now this is what happens in countries run by tyrants. The reporting of treaty issues is already so one-sided I can't for the life of me think what more Willie Jackson could possibly tell the Wokesters at the likes of Stuff and Radio New Zealand about it. The Public Interest Journalism Fund had that disgraceful condition attached that recipients had to actively promote principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Principles, of course, which have never been legislated and therefore are only at best judicial interpretations or opinions of the Waitangi Tribunal. So Jackson potentially interfering even more shows a level of arrogance and government direction bordering on instruction which is possibly unprecedented in New Zealand history. My great wish that one day mainstream media would challenge the prevailing Māori elite's narrative that the chiefs did not cede sovereignty in Article 1 of the treaty in 1840 is highly unlikely to come true while Willie Jackson is in any position of authority. Government ministers meeting with media executives is actually that... Uh, not that unusual. I remember numerous visits uh, by them during my time in the TVNZ newsroom. But my recollection is that those meetings were more meet and greet and social than anything else. But if what we hear is true, that Jackson wants media to agree on a set of principles in reporting treaty matters, then frankly, democracy truly is in a deep, dark space in this country. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, there are not many things that the Wellington Mayor Tory Whanau and I would agree on. Maybe the time, maybe what day of the week it is. Not much more. I know that because I met her once in a bar very early in the morning, or was it late at night, and the discussion we had at that time showed we could hardly be more politically unaligned. But, you know, I'm feeling for her over this episode with her dog. It looks like she'll have to have her teddy sent away to other family members or a doggy babysitter because teddy isn't allowed in the building where her office is. Those are the landlord's rules. I can't for the life of me see why landlords put these rules in place. After all, dogs are more and more common in workplaces these days, and as long as the pooch is well-behaved, I just can't see a problem. If the dog is not well-behaved, your colleagues tell you pretty damn quickly if it's out of order. The biggest issue I have with dogs, especially in an open-plan office, is that there is just too much distraction from work, while others admire 
and talk about and talk to the dog. But if you have a family dog and everybody in the family is out at work or at school during the day, it's not great for the dog to be left at home, especially because dogs need to socialise, like people. That's why so many dogs go to work these days, even to Parliament. So, you know, I really feel sorry for Tori Farnow. If you live alone, as in with no other people, as Tori Farnow does, a dog is a really important part of your life because of the unconditional love they give you. So it's sad that the Wellington Mayor can't have her dog at work. I really hope she can find a solution so that she and Ted can be together a lot more. Here's an idea. Maybe she should stop being the Mayor of Wellington. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio members and join now. Here's a question. Why does New Zealand need to have 100% renewable electricity generation? Just what exactly will it prove about anything to anybody apart from the egos of some politicians? Now, because of the foresight of politicians and bureaucrats from the 1920s through to the early 1990s, and blessedly the absence of the Resource Management Act in those years, we have one of the highest percentages of electricity generated from renewable sources in the world. The number was reported in 2020 at 83.9%. The Minister of Energy, Megan Woods, says it's now about 90%. Either way, it is one of the best percentages in the world. Only a dozen or so countries have a higher rate. Only three have 100% of their electricity from renewable sources. Those countries, Albania, Paraguay and Iceland. Of them, only Paraguay produces more than 43,000 gigawatt hours of electricity a year, which is what we have. So we are already among the most environmentally clean power producers in the world. We could be even better, of course, if the government allowed the power companies to build more hydro schemes or even better, a nuclear power station. Compare what we already produce through renewables with the United States at 15%, or China's 25%, or India's 18%. And you see that if CO2 emissions do have an impact on the climate, then we have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to producing electricity. We are among the world's cleanest and greenest in that respect, which is not to say we couldn't do better. But it's just ridiculous that this country should spend upwards of $40 billion dollars to make the remaining 10% or whatever of our power generation renewable. That's why the announcement of the BlackRock investment in renewables yesterday was just a political stunt. New Zealand going to 100% renewably generated power will make absolutely no difference to the world's climate. BlackRock raising $2 billion of the $40 billion is a nothing that the New Zealand power users will ultimately be stung with such a whopping sum of money for nothing more than virtue signalling is a political disgrace. Altex Machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
to some of your feedback, which is coming through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This from Jane. Good morning. RCR has many great interviews, but the recent Williams Bachelor interview left me with a complete sense of finally hearing a conversation between critically minded men who are free to talk truths. Such an enlightening conversation, totally devoid of innuendo, false attack, accusations, and underdeveloped thought patterns. Thank you, Jane. That's very complimentary of you. This is from Dave Rennie. I wonder whether it's Dave Rennie, the rugby coach. If it is, hello, Dave. If it's not, hello to you, Dave, anyway. And best wishes. Uh, Your comment is great, show, Peter. So glad the anti-woke movement has started. This country is run by motions creating mayhem. And Dave followed up shortly afterwards with this slightly longer comment. Here is a piece from it. In addition to restoring New Zealand's pride and patriotism, the people must recognise the importance of addressing the divisive issues that are being forced on our society. We must confront the issue of critical race theory and reject the idea that New Zealand is inherently racist. Instead, we should celebrate the diversity of our nation and work to create a society that is truly equal and just for all individuals, regardless of their race, gender or ethnicity. To promote a unifying vision for New Zealand that recognises our complete history and values while embracing our diversity and striving for a better future for all Kiwis. Together, we can build a stronger, more prosperous and more united nation that upholds the principles our country was founded on. And Dave finishes by saying, New Zealand is not a bad place, but it is run by the wrong people. Amen to that. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for your comments and for your correspondence. Inbox at realitycheck.radio. Our text is 2057, or you can find us on Facebook. Just look for Reality Check Radio. It is now National Party education policy to ban smartphones from schools. Frankly, it's about time. The vast majority of parents and teachers that I know agree with the idea that schools are not staunch on this already is a reflection on how much kids are allowed to get away with these days. This is a sign the adults are fighting back. It could not have been hard to envisage when the iPhone hit the market just 15 years ago that these things would become major distractions inside the school gates. Some school principals are already strong-willed on this, And when they banned the phones, they noticed dramatic improvement in school attainment. Uh, Here's a couple of personal observations. I played golf during the recent school holidays with Daryl Patterson. He's the rector of my old school, Waitaki Boys High School. He told me that now they've taken uh, the phones off the boys uh, during the entire school day. He notices that boys are now talking to each other during breaks and playing games at lunchtime. In other words, the benefits of not being distracted by phones during the school day are not only academic, but social as well. And that can surely only be a good thing. Daryl Patterson also told me he was looking at a copy of the school magazine from 1965, and it was a piece of student opinion writing about this new distraction to learning back then called television. And Daryl reckoned the issues raised in that piece were almost identical to the distractions posed by mobile phones nearly 60 years later. Most states in Australia already ban the phones inside the school gate. So does France. So does the Netherlands. It's a no-brainer to do it in New Zealand too. It should be a vote gainer, or at least a vote retainer, 
for the National Party. And if some helicopter parents squeal about how unfair it is because they can't quickly contact their child, too bad. Call the school office like parents always did before the blinking smartphones invaded our lives. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, if you enter in the search line, redundancies at stuff, there is no shortage of stories that will come up. What's worse is they come from different times in the last year. In October of 2022, the company proposed to cut staff in its regional newsrooms. Cities like Palmerston North, Nelson and Timaru would have just three reporters to cover the region across the week. Instead of seven, there was some plan to have a sort of head office regional reporting team to complement that arrangement and replace what was there before. I don't know if that plan ever went ahead. Then in May of this year, there was news about 16 sub-editing jobs going at the company. Now the latest plan is for another eight people in the so-called national correspondence team to go as well. So that's 36 job losses in the last 10 months. As well, there's been the departure of the new editor of The Post in Wellington, the head of news for the company, and some high-profile, albeit very woke, senior reporters who specialised in climate and feminist issues. All of which begs the question, just what kind of financial state is the company formerly known as Fairfax and INL really in? The executive chair of the company, Sinead Boucher, was allowed to buy the company for a dollar in 2020 from the Australian owners of the time. And she made great pronouncements back then about how wonderful it was to have the company back in local ownership. She made plans for 10% of the company to be gifted to a trust for the benefit of staff, with a further opportunity for staff to buy more shares down the track. Nothing appears to have come of those plans. As far as we know, Sinead Boucher is still the beneficial owner of 100% of the company. Although if it was only worth a dollar in 2020, it's hard to see how the value of the company has increased since then. Yes, it's had a decent chunk of taxpayer money through the Public Interest Journalism Fund, somewhere in the vicinity of $6 million, but we haven't seen any indication of the company's financial performance since it was taken over by Ms. Boucher. Even the country's other large non-government-owned and non-share market-listed media companies, that is MediaWorks and Discovery, have their financials reported through the company's office, even if the news is bad, and even if, as is the case with MediaWorks at the moment, the reporting is seriously overdue. But we know nothing about how stuff is doing. All we can do is hazard a guess. The place is still losing truckloads of money. The number and the frequency of redundancies and restructurings tell you that. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media. And now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. 
To more of your correspondence through inbox at realitycheck.radio. This is from Margaret, Margaret Cooper. She writes regarding the Australian journalist Sherry Markson and the, uh, the piece of her that we replayed off Sky News uh, last week. She writes, uh, Hi, Peter, I listened with horror at the false flag that woman was spouting last week on gain-of-function Wuhan lab, etc. This whole narrative was formulated as a diversion from the actual truth. It's quite hard to hear, but a full look at the scientific method or lack of that virologists use has proven that the theory of virology is a complete fraud, starting over a hundred years ago with Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch. It is worth talking to Samantha and Mark Bailey, and she gives uh, a website address for them. In summary, COVID was a complete psychological operation. We have been so indoctrinated to believe that sickness is caused by a germ or a virus, when in fact sickness is caused by toxicity, food, chemical or electrical. Our language even confirms this fraud, e.g. we caught a cold. We don't catch a cold, we detox, a bit like cleaning a heat pump filter. Please talk to Mark and Sam a lovely Kiwi post-medical couple who are at the world forefront of uncovering this massive fraud. Remember, the only barrier to truth is the presumption you already have it. Kind regards, Margaret. An interesting perspective, Margaret, is all I can say about that, but thank you for taking the time to write. This is RCR. Our address is inbox at realitycheck.radio, text 2057. You can find us on Facebook. Search for Reality Check Radio. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. The free trade agreement that Helen Clark's government signed with China 15 years ago was the start of our economic golden weather. Despite warnings not to repeat what we did with Britain in the years after the Second World War and not have too many eggs in one export basket, that is exactly what has happened since 2008. It's been great for New Zealand. China has been a very good country to do business with. But it's always been fraught with danger on two fronts. If there's a military conflict between China and the US, do we stay out of it and hope they keep on buying our milk and our meat? And what if their economy tanks and they can't afford to buy as much as they were purchasing? Well, the first of those possibilities is always in the air, always talked about, although for now, both sides seem to be respectfully keeping their distance knowing that all hell would break loose on the planet if there was an American-China military conflict. But the second of those dangers is now coming to pass, and we've very quickly seen the impact of that with the dairy payout per kilo of milk solids from Fonterra to dairy farmers announced last week dropping by a dollar. With costs going up and the milk prices going down, it's likely most dairy farms will not be profitable this season. If China is going to continue being Fonterra's most important and lucrative market, then the outlook is not great, I'm afraid. China had the world's most stringent lockdown during COVID. As a consequence, consumer demand has dropped considerably since. It's struggling to return to former levels, 
as the Chinese population for now anyway, are apparently saving more and not spending. Bank deposits as a share of GDP in China have risen by 50% since they came out of the COVID lockdown. Private sector consumption of durable goods like cars and household furniture is down by a third compared to as far back as 2015. Youth unemployment is high. The value of China's exports last month was down 14.5% on a year ago. Foreign observers say this is called China's economic long COVID, and they say it is not temporary. Yes, the people there have to eat, and we mainly sell them food. But if they're not prepared to, uh, to pay the same price as before, then the impact on this country's income is considerable. The drop in the milk price is estimated to take $5 billion out of our economy in the next year. The need for our food producers and exporters to find bigger markets elsewhere, I'm afraid, is now more urgent than ever. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now, here's a really good idea. Make it so gift cards don't expire for at least three years. To be honest, it's not one of life's more pressing issues, but the sad reality is that most gift cards are not redeemed. According to the National Party, up to $10 million is not redeemed from gift cards each year. One in five of them is never spent. I'm guilty of letting them expire regularly, especially ones for restaurants. You see, when you live in the country, you don't eat out all that often. At least if they were valid for three years instead of one, you'd have a chance of spending them. So the Nats have this Fair Trading Gift Card Expiry Amendment Bill in the House. It's actually passed its first reading already. The MP responsible for it, Melissa Lee, is hopeful it will go all the way. Whether or not it becomes law before the election is unlikely, though, because one, Labor will not want to give the Nats a win of any sort with a private member's bill, and two, the election campaign will get in the way of the legislative program and the bill won't be reported back after a select committee till the new government has been sworn in, at which time it's highly likely a national and act majority government would usher it through. Now, it's not a major issue, and I don't know if there was even a significant public push for it, but it's one of those little moves by politicians that they make every now and then, which makes you think, oh gee, sometimes those people at Parliament are quite useful after all. And occasionally, just occasionally, they do make very practical decisions. Thank you for your company this afternoon. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show. If you'd like to get in touch, inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text is 2057. And you can look us up on Facebook, search for realitycheck.radio. I'll be back on Friday afternoon. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio
check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.